Judges chapter 9. So we know from the beginning of the service this morning that after Gideon uh, died, they, the Israelites did again what they had been prone to do throughout the course of this book is they just kind of turned their back on God again. And one of Gideon's sons, Gideon had 70 sons, uh, 70 sons through his wife, and he had a son through a concubine. And the son of the concubine, his name was Abimelech. And we pick up his story after the death of Gideon in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, uh, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers. And he spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please, speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel or Gideon reign over you, or that one reign over you? And remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother." Heavenly Father, as we go to your word this morning and we unwrap what happened in the book of Judges, God, would you bring it to life for us this morning? God, would you just kind of take us to that place, put us in that setting and in that situation, and Lord, may we, may we see and sense the truth of what was going on, not only for them in their setting, but God, in our own lives. May we see ourselves in their setting. And God, may we uh, examine where we are today in relation to you as we look at these stories unfold. God, I pray that you will anoint your word, that you'll anoint me as I share it. And God, that you'll bless it in the ear of every hearer, both here present today and those who are watching online and those who will watch it later. We ask God that you will have your will and your way in every heart. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. Here's a point I want to make to you this morning from that part of the story. Church, be very, very careful who you hitch your wagon to. Be careful who you hitch your wagon to. I, I, in fact, I think that this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Go ahead and throw that uh, verse up on the screen for me, please. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, I think Paul understood that the human condition, the human nature, is for us to have an innate desire to want to follow somebody. We want to follow somebody, someone, or something. And, and, you know, in fact, all the way back at the beginning of creation, God made everything. It was all good. He made Adam. But when he made Adam and he watched Adam interacting with all that, the rest that he had made, he said one thing. It is not good that man should be what? Alone. It wasn't good that man should be alone. And so he made 
a helpmeet. He made a companion. And from that moment, the moment of creation, there is something built into us that desires connection, that desires partnership, that desires community. And so it's kind of hardwired into each and every one of us that we want to follow someone or something. We want, to, we want to feel connected to them. And so Paul, I think understanding that, said, okay, if you're going to follow somebody and you are going to follow somebody, then follow me. Follow my example. Why? Because I am following Christ. Paul said, if you're going to follow somebody, Follow somebody that's following Christ. Follow somebody that's following Jesus. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, we're far too tempted on too many occasions to follow somebody that is not following Jesus. And in fact, not only are we tempted to follow people who are not following Jesus, I think sometimes we don't use a whole lot of sense when it looks like somebody is following Jesus. Just because somebody starts to, to quote Bible verses, does that mean that they're really following Jesus? Just because somebody sounds religious, does that mean that they're a reliable follower of Jesus Christ? Come on, church, I can't hear you. All right, I just wanna make sure that you're acknowledging that, that you're owning that. Just because somebody can quote a verse, and by the way, you do know that the Satan can quote scripture better than you can, right? You're aware of that. All right, so just because somebody can quote a Bible verse or just because somebody can sound religious, that doesn't mean that that is a safe person to hitch your wagon to. I think one of the, the most sobering, embracing passage of scripture in all the Bible, Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, this is verse 21 through 23. This will not be on the screen, but you'll, you'll be familiar with this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So just because somebody spouts the name of Jesus, just because somebody spouts a Bible verse, that does not necessarily mean that that is somebody that you need to be aligning with, that that is somebody that you need to be following and, and hitching up to. And, it, and it's, it's, this, this is the scary part to me because many, the response that Jesus said that he'll get, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? Church, do you realize what they're saying? Hey, Lord, didn't we preach? Didn't we do some amazing things? Didn't we make everybody like, wow, that's so awesome. Look at what they just did. And didn't we say that we did it in your name? And Jesus' response to them is, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Church, this morning, I want to be unequivocally clear in the, in the understanding and the listening of everybody who is tuned in right now. Be very careful who you hitch your wagon to because not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is really 
following Jesus. And if we're going to follow somebody, and we are because that's the way that we're wired, then we need to make sure that the person that we are hitching up to, the person that we are investing in, the person that we are building that relationship with is, like Paul said, following Christ. Paul said further in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Now, I'm I'm just curious, I'm just curious, there was a term that I was familiar with when I was a teenager especially, and so I wonder if any of our teenagers here this morning know this phrase, or if any of our adults are familiar with this phrase. How many of you have ever heard the term missionary dating? Have any of you ever heard that? Missionary dating? All right, there's like one or two of you. All right, so I, this is cool because I get to explain a term that, that most of you have no idea what it is. So missionary dating, it sounds really cool. It sounds spiritual. It sounds like a wonderful thing to do. Here's what missionary dating was in my day. It was a Christ follower, a believer, deciding to date an unbeliever, and they would justify, well, I'm trying to win them to the Lord. Man, we will justify anything that we want, won't we? If we want it, we'll justify it. And so we use this term, missionary dating. Students, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that just because you might want to see somebody get saved, that that is a reason or an excuse to date them and invest your time in them because there's a way to win them to Christ that doesn't involve a heart connection in a relationship. And by the way, this isn't just applicable for our teenagers. If you're a single person in here, man, I'm telling you, the temptation to lower the standards so that we can build a relational bond. Why? Because we wanna follow somebody, we wanna build connection, we wanna have relationship. But when we start to build those relational heart bonds and follow somebody, hitch our wagon to somebody who is not honestly following Jesus, Paul said that that bad company will corrupt good character. I don't know if you've noticed this. I have in my own life. Rarely, rarely does a Christ follower wind up pulling somebody toward God nearly as much as somebody who is not following God pulls a Christ follower away from God. So we need to be very, very careful about the relationships that we're building because church, we are going to follow somebody. We are going to connect to somebody. God made us that way. So be very careful. They said, well, he's our brother. Is that enough reason to follow somebody because, well, he's my brother? No. The only right reason that we have to follow somebody is like Paul said, are they following Christ? If they are, that's a green light. If they're not, it's a red light. All right. So let's keep going. Judges chapter 9, we'll look down in verse 5 now. So they said, yep, we'll follow you. And so Abimelech, in verse 5, went down to his father's house at Oprah. And I'm like, she's so popular. They even had Bible towns named after her. Um, 
They went down to Oprah and he killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now, as I read this verse, this passage, this section of this story, I tell you, my mind goes to, I think, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all of the Bible. And it's when Jesus said, judge not. And I think that when the, the way the world has pushed against that passage of scripture, judge not, we're scared to make any judgment about anybody whatsoever. And it's one of the most misunderstood and misapplied because first of all, that is only applying to people outside the body of faith. See church, we should not be surprised when an unsaved person acts like an unsaved person. Shock, right? We shouldn't be surprised, why? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't have a redeemed nature. They're gonna act like they act because they're, they're in sin, separated from Jesus. We should not be surprised, but we have no reason to judge them because they're still, but it's, their salvation is between them and the Lord. But beyond the fact that the judge not applies to people outside of the body of Christ, we've also just sort of made it a, a sort of this blanket understanding of, well, who am I to judge? Whatever's going on, who am I to judge? What's right, what's wrong? Who am I to judge? But that does not mean Jesus never intended for us to set aside discernment, to set aside wisdom, to set aside common sense because who am I to judge, right? Wrong. God gave you a brain. He gave you the Holy Spirit to give you good judgment, discernment. He gave you common sense to make value judgments. And when, when somebody is doing something as heinous as, as Abimelech did here, it makes no sense to follow that person. But, but here's what I think is going on in our culture and, and even, even for them back then. Too often in our world, I think decisions are made and they're driven not by what God says, they're not driven by principle, but they're driven by greed and they're driven by fear. And they're driven by greed for what we can get or they're driven by fear from what we're afraid to lose. Have you ever made a decision based on one of those two things, greed or fear? Raise your hand. So that's almost everybody in this church. I think those two things are primary drivers in most of the decisions that we make in our world. What am I gonna get out of it? Or if I do this, I might lose X, Y, Z and I don't wanna lose X, Y, Z and so I choose to not do anything. So we're making decisions based on what we'll get or what we may lose and we're not even considering what are God's principles in this. We're not using God's discernment through the Holy Spirit. And in this case, there is no question that Abimelech was not following God. I mean, he just murdered 69 people 
at one time simply so that he could have power. Church, when somebody reveals to you that they're not following God, that should be the end of your following of that person, period. And when somebody reveals that they are not following God, that should uh, create some significant limitations on the relationship. Limitations, not necessarily revocation of the relationship. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. Amen? We're called to be salt and light in the world. Everybody needs Jesus. But... When we have been engaging in relationship, when we've been building those bridges and somebody clearly shows, I am not following Christ, we cannot allow ourselves to be driven by fear. We, we cannot be allowed to be driven by, by greed. Well, if, if, I, if I stay connected to this person, here's what I'm going to get out of it. Or if I disconnect from this person, I'm going to lose them. Church, we can't make decisions that way. We have to make decisions based on the principle and the word of God. This is the final arbiter of what is right, what is wrong, and how we live in the world. Amen? Amen. This is it. It's not how I feel. It's what does God say. And when somebody else is disregarding God's word, it's time to change the relationship. Now it gets a little quiet because, man, we don't like to, we don't like to uh, hurt or damage relationships that we find value in. But church, I'm just going to remind you, the one relationship that we should never, ever, ever damage is the one between us and God Almighty. Thank you. Amen. But this is the one that we'll sacrifice first most of the time, isn't it? Well, you know, God will get over it. He'll understand. No, no, he won't. We're, live, we're, we're choosing to live outside the blessing of God when we decide to stay connected and be in relationship with people who are no longer following Jesus. Now, that's, that's on a personal level, but, you know, a lot of us, we read stuff. We read stuff that people are clearly contradicting God's word. Church, if you're here this morning and you're reading things written by people who are contradicting what God is clearly saying in his word, put it down. Stop reading. If you're listening to, to music or you're listening to, to podcast or, or, or something where the person is clearly disagreeing or contradicting the word of God, stop listening. Why would you allow polluted water to enter the temple of God. You know, our, the people who, who uh, when I was in college, my freshman year of college, I mean, co computer thing was still fairly new. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't brand new, but it was still fairly young. And, uh, and we had to take, you know, this class on, uh, on computer language. Um, I don't even remember the name. What was the name of uh, Cobalt? It was, I was before Fortran, I think. It might have been, seems like it was Cobalt, but I don't remember. It's, it's that, that long ago. All right, so computer language. And there was one overriding principle in, in programming a, a computer, and it was called GIGO. Anybody know what that stood for? Garbage in, garbage out. 
Garbage in, garbage out. If, if you put bad programming into your computer, guess what you're gonna get out of it? Bad results. Church, the most complex, complicated computer in all of the world is between your two ears. It's right here. And the same thing that is true when, when it comes to programming computers is true in your life, in my life, garbage in, garbage out. You put bad things in, contradictory things to the word of God into this computer, the wrong things, bad product is going to come out. So you need to consider some of the relationships you're in this morning. If they're personal, are you involved with somebody who is not following Jesus? Then you either need to stop that or you need to put some severe limitations on it. If you're reading things of people that are contradicting the word of God, put it down, stop reading. If you're listening to people who are contradicting the word of God, shut it down. Church, the only source that we need is the pure source of the living water of God, the bread of life. This is what will sustain you. So now he kills, he kills 69 guys, but one guy got away. And in the rest of that chapter that immediately follows that, uh, Jotham runs up to the top of a hill, and while they are making Abimelech king, Jotham tells this really kind of fascinating parable. And I find it humorous. You may not find it humorous, but I did. I encourage you to read it. It's in verses 7 through 15. And at the end of that, he summarizes it this way in verse 19 of chapter 9. So Jotham's at the top of a hill. They're, they're making Abimelech king. And Jotham says this at the end of his parable. He says, if you've acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbabel, Gideon, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech. Let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Jotham puts their motives in clear play right here and here's, here's what he says. If you're doing this for all the right reasons, then I pray that you are blessed with each other. I pray that you enjoy each other and that you, know, you live long and prosper. But if you're not, I hope you kill each other. That's basically what he's saying. If, if not, then I pray that fire will come out of Abimelech and destroy y'all and that fire will come out of y'all and destroy Abimelech. So, hey, if your motives are good, then I pray it's all well. If your motives are not, I hope you kill each other. Now, some of you have probably felt like that before about a few people that you know. You need to know that that is a biblical prayer. <laughs> Church motives matter. Motives matter. Um, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. So put, up, put this on the screen for you. says, all of a person's ways seem pure to them. But motives are weighed by the Lord. 
You go, oh, well, I'm, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing the right thing. I want everybody to know I'm doing the right thing. God says, mm, yep, well, I'll weigh your motives. And church, let me be real clear on this. You can fool a lot of the people. In fact, you know, as, as old P.T. Barnum said, you, you can fool all of the people some of the time. It, you, you can fool almost everybody you know. You can fool almost everybody in the church. But guess who you're not fooling? Who are you not fooling? God. You are not getting one single thing over on God. Church, your motive, the reason that you're doing something, it matters and it matters to God. If it didn't matter to God, why would he weigh your motive? Right? I mean, if, if motive is irrelevant, then why is God evaluating your motive? Numbers chapter 3, verse 23. God was saying this to his people as they were still working toward the promised land. He said, if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And, and church, young people, believe me, I have found this out, especially when I was a teenager. My mother could have been Perry Mason. I mean, she was this incredible detective. I could not get anything past this woman. And I think it's because this is what God said. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you. How many wish God had never put that in the Bible? Man, I'm like, God, please, why? Why? It was just, it was uncanny. But if you think you're doing something, and you think that you've, you, have, you have kind of fooled everybody around you, but God knows that your motive is an ungodly motive, and God knows that your motive is not what you are presenting to the rest of the world, God says that is sinful to him. And be sure that your sin will find you out. You know that sooner or later, whatever it is that you're wanting to do, whatever it is you're doing, sooner or later, somebody is going to see it for what it is. Sooner or later, it's going to come to light. And so you might as well just make peace with that now and ask the Lord to examine your heart so that your motives are right and pure before him. You know why? Because we reap what we sow. That is a principle in scripture that we see over and over and over again. We reap what we sow. And when, when our motives are wrong, it's like we're trying to, we're trying to, to sow seed of brambles and thorn bushes because we're trying to mess somebody or something up and we're wanting to get apple trees out of it for our own well-being. Church doesn't work that way. You reap what you sow. And so Jotham said, hey, if your motives are good, then I pray that you have a wonderful life together. But if your motives are wrong, I hope you absolutely kill and destroy each other. And church, your sin will find you out. You will reap what you sow. And sure enough, in verse 23 of chapter 9, God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem, and they revolted. Huh. 
Doggone you, Jotham! Exactly what he prayed came to pass. Why? Because their motives on both sides of this equation were all wrong. Abimelech's motives were wrong. The men of Shechem, their motives were wrong. And they began to reap what they sowed. God sent a spirit of trouble to raise up division between the two of them. And guess what they did? They destroyed each other. They absolutely destroyed each other. And church, this is why your relationships, your connections to those that you are following must be Christ-centered. Because the people that you're in partnership and you're in league with today, if it's a partnership that is not centered in Christ, somewhere down the line, don't be surprised if those people that you're in partnership become your worst enemies. Have you ever had that happen? Raise your hand. It's heartbreaking. But you know what? It should not be surprising. Why? Because when a relationship, when a connection, when a following is not built on the center of God, the center of Jesus Christ, it is bound to come to trouble, especially if motives are wrong. So church, whether you're building a a relational connection in, in love, if you're building a relational connection in business, you're building a ministry connection, whatever it is, whatever it is in whatever facet of life you are looking at it, make sure, make sure, make sure that Christ is at the center of it. It is the only way that it works. So they destroyed each other. Now, Bimelech died. After Bimelech died, God raised up two other judges. One was named Atola, one was named Jair. And after the two of them, Israel went through 18 more years of strife and turmoil. Like, why? Because they simply would not follow the God that blesses. It's mind-boggling, really, when you think about it. And yet, we struggle with the same thing. God will bring somebody in our life that will challenge us. We'll rise and we'll follow God for a season. We'll be all about the Lord for a season. And then when something happens, they pass off the scene, they leave, whatever. All of a sudden, our commitment to the Lord just falls totally off the cliff. It's exactly what was happening to Israel over and over again. 18 more years of misery. Some of you wonder why you're so dadgum frustrated and miserable. It's because you are simply going through the motions and your heart is not given to the Lord in devotion. Now, the next God that, or the next judge that God raised up, he was sort of an outlaw. His name was Jephthah. Uh, but before we go to his story, I, I want to look at a response by God to his own people. And then I want to look at a response by Jephthah to the enemies of Israel, and I want to tie them together, all right? So Judges chapter 10, I'm going to look at verse 13 and 14. This is after they've gone through 18 years of difficulty, and they're going, hey, Lord, come on, come help us, Lord, help us, help us, help us. And God says in verse 13 of chapter 10, he goes, yet you've forsaken me. You've served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Why don't 
you go out and cry to the gods that you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Ouch. Ouch. God said, hey, you pick people, you pick gods other than me. Why don't you go ask them for some help? All right. Now look over in chapter 11. Verse 23 and 24, Uh, Jephthah has become the judge, and now he's talking to the enemies of Israel. In verse 23, he says, and now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And I love what he says here. So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we, we will possess And as he said there, whatever your God gives you, you possess that. We'll keep what our God gives us. You keep what your God gives you. All right, so let me tie those two together. Because what God was saying to his people and what uh, Jephthah was saying to the enemies of Israel is that what can any other idol, what can any other God give for you or do for you uh, beyond what God can Nothing. No other God, no other activity, no other engagement or investment can give to you or displace what God can do for you. So, hey, you want that? Then why don't you go ahead and take whatever they give you? Why don't you ask them for help? No other God. Now, listen, I know that we don't carve idols anymore. I've never walked into somebody's workshop and see them, you know, whittling a God that they were going to put out like, whoa, we don't do that. But church, let's just be real honest. We're still making idols today. We may not be carving them. We may not be putting them on the mantle that we bow down to. But church, anything that we put before God as a priority is an idol. Man, we don't like to talk about idols in the modern church, but it's true. Anything that we put before God as a priority is an idol. Now, there's an interesting thing that I've noticed in in my adult uh, life. This was true before I got into ministry. It's been true since I've been in ministry, and I've seen this over and over again. When somebody, when some kid especially, when when some kid gets in trouble, and mom and dad are, are distraught about the difficulty that their child is now encountering. Do they run to the gymnastics coach for help? Do they run to the basketball coach for help? Do they run to the football coach for help? Do they go to the fishing instructor for help? Oh, ouch, that one hurt. Church, when, when something goes off, off kilter for one of your kids, where does a parent who loves the Lord, where, where do they go? They go to God. They seek out God's man. You know what God would have every right to say? Well, why don't, why don't you ask the God that you put ahead of me for help? Why don't you just let them give you whatever they're going to give you? That's what God was saying to his people Why why don't you ask them for for help in your distress? That's what he instructed Abimelech. Hey, whatever your God gives you, you keep. Whatever my God will give me, I'll keep. 
Church, we make idols out of a whole bunch of things. We put a whole bunch of things before God, but as soon as trouble comes, where do we go? We go to God. Why don't we stop playing that game? Amen? Why don't we stop playing that game? Let's just stay in allegiance and in alignment with God so that when trouble comes, and guess what? Trouble is going to come into your life. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but I give you my what? My peace. I give you my peace. Church, you're going to have trouble. There's no way to avoid it. It's going to come. But when you put others before God, when you put other things before God, none of them can give you the peace that God can give. So let's just cut the nonsense out and stop pursuing all these other things and pursue God with all that we've got. One last thing as we finish this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the platform. Turn to Judges chapter 12. I'm going to read the first three verses of Judges 12. And it says, Then the men of Ephraim gathered together. They crossed over toward Zaphon, and they said to Jephthah, Hey, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon, and you didn't call us to go with you? We'll burn your house down on you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you didn't deliver me out of their hands. And so when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and I crossed over against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then do you come to me this day to fight against me? And do you know that civil war broke out? Tens of thousands of men lost their lives because of this confrontation. And church, this was all about pride. Their pride was wounded. And here's what I want to finish with today. Pride causes division every time it rises up. So, hey, what... Why did you go get this victory? And now we can't pat ourselves on the back. We can't claim a part of it. Why did you do it without us? Well, I asked you and you didn't show up. So we had to do what we had to do. Yeah, but we're the ones who are supposed to be getting accolades for this. Their pride was hurt. And do you know that pride can cause arrogance, can cause bitterness, can cause resentment. It can cause fault finding. It can cause this incessant need for, uh, to draw attention to yourself. That's what's going on here. Hey, notice us. We didn't get anything out of this. We didn't get any glory out of this. Church, pride is what led Satan to rise up against the Lord of God Almighty and to be thrown and cast down from heaven into the pit of fire. Pride is what raises its head over and over again and brings division in families. It brings division in churches. It brings division in the workplace. Pride brings division every time it rises up. And I think that's why God said, not once, but twice, once in James and one in, once in 1 Peter, that God resists who? 
God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I have, and I want to I thank Rodney and the 60s group for the challenge that was shared this morning. Church, you've heard me say this on multiple occasions. For the life of me, I have never been able to understand what it is about God's people that resist repenting. It's like repenting is a bad word in the church. It should never be seen that way. You know what makes repenting feel like a bad word in the church? What's the word? Pride. It's pride. And when we're too proud to repent, when we're too proud to kneel and pray, guess what? We're going to have division somewhere in our life. So whether you're here this morning and you need to ask the Lord to come into your life, you need to humble yourself and ask him to save you. Whether you've got some relationships that uh, people that you're, you're built in, uh, you're following and, and you're building a relationship with and they're not following the Lord and you need to fix that. Whether you're engaged in something where your motives may not be pure before the Lord, you got everybody else fooled, but they're not pure before the Lord. Or maybe you just need to say, Lord, I don't have anything standing between me and you, but I, God, just help me to stay humble. I don't, feel, I don't feel pride in my spirit, but Lord, just help me stay humble. You know, what's the old saying? You know, my best quality is, is my humbleness. You ever heard that? I'm proud of my humility. Maybe you're not feeling pride in your life, but hey, listen, let, let he that thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Fall. So church, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. It's time to respond to what the Lord has said. I don't know what he's laid on your heart, but whatever it is, we need to move. So Father, I pray that in every heart here today that you will have your way. God, don't let anything stand between a person here and what they need to do to make peace and be right with you. In Jesus' name, amen.